0: Sorry guys, no audio guest introduction today. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go listen to last week's podcast.
1: Anyway, welcome back to the New Brunswick podcast. This week we continue our discussion series about God and sex with a conversation about intimacy led by guest Peter Peter Volk.
0: And yeah, enjoy. Uh, we're gonna transition now into our time of discussion specifically around the teachings of Jesus. Now. Uh, Many of you know uh, that here at Ethnos we believe that spiritual reality for anybody in our city can be found in a lot of different places. There's some good ideas all over this place from all kinds of teachers, all kinds of observations we have in, in our world. But we do believe here that there's something unique with the teaching and insight from the person of Jesus. Uh, We look to him on a weekly basis for guidance and instruction because we believe when he came some 2,000 years ago, he had something powerful to say that was unique from all that had been said before and something powerful to do for us by going on a cross, dying and rising again from the dead. The story of Jesus some 2000 years ago means something deeply to us. And so every Sunday we take a moment to reflect on his teaching and his life. And we hope you can join us in that. Of course, if you have different beliefs, that's fine. we love it that you're here. We love it that as a city, as a community, we can process stuff together. And so we hope you can find some safety and some help, uh, regardless of your beliefs, in this moment of conversation. Uh, As you also know, uh, we like to go through what we call series of conversations here, and we are in the middle of a series called Sex, Naked Conversations on Our Sexuality. And so uh, this this weekend, as we get going with this conversation, we are going to dive into a discussion on the issue of intimacy as it relates to sex. the last few weeks we've been talking about our bodies. And uh, how many of you were here last week, by the way? How many of you enjoyed the women's panel last week that, that shared? Give them a hand. They, they did an amazing job of uh, talking about how to understand God and our bodies from a woman's perspective. I, I just thank you so much, woman, who, who led us in that discussion. Well, today uh, we have another person leading us in a discussion, that's not me, a lot of times I lead the discussions, but today we have someone else leading this discussion. And uh, we're really privileged to have Peter Valk with us here uh, today to lead off in this conversation on intimacy. Now, some of you know who Peter is, he's been here before, but just in case you don't know who Peter is, let me give a brief introduction. Uh, Peter acts as a consultant to groups like ours, faith community like ours, to help groups like ours be better spaces for LGBTQ persons in their faith journey with Jesus. Uh, he himself is gay, and he is also a part of, uh, uh, he leads a brotherhood called the Nashville, Brother, Nashville Family of Brothers. It's an intentional community of men, living to live, men wanting to live together for Jesus. And he also, his, his other day job is that he's a therapist, He specifically is a therapist for people who are gay, who are trying to figure out their spirituality and their sexuality. And so uh, Peter comes from a a wealth of experiences and a wealth of knowledge to share about many things here at at Ethnos. Last year we had him here to help consult our community that we we might be a better community for um, gay and straight people alike. But today what he's gonna get us thinking about is this issue of intimacy this issue of intimacy. And so I'm excited for what he has to say. Let's give Peter a hand as he comes on up and um, give our attention to him.
1: Thanks, Peter. Thanks. I'm gonna scoot this over. Hello. glad to be here. Um, Okay, yeah, so uh, let's go back to that title. That You guys have been that um, headline for the past couple of weeks. Uh, Sex, Naked Conversations, Honest Talk for Better Love of Self, uh, God, and Sex. Uh, I want to point out something that is obvious to a few of us probably, uh, but has a big impact on how all of us uh, think about our need for connection and community. Uh, So to do this, play along, please close your eyes. Now imagine, thinking of that title, imagine you're a person who doesn't think sex will be a part of your future. Or imagine you are convinced that God has called you to give up romance, marriage, and sex in order to serve God with undivided attention. Or imagine you're a widow or a divorcee who doesn't expect to get married again or have sex again. Or imagine you're a single person who wants to get married but fears that no one will ever want you. Or imagine you have a physical or psychological condition that means that sex isn't in the cards for you. Now think about that title again. Sex, Naked Conversations, Honest Talk for Better Love of Self, God, and Sex. Now if you are one of those people, you can open your eyes now. Um, if you're one of those people that I just described who doesn't think that sex will be a part of their future, uh, how, would you, how would that title make you feel? I'll tell you how it makes me feel. Um, sex is the best thing out there. So if sex isn't a part of my future, I'm going to miss out on the best things. That's one way it hits me. Now, uh, UConn knows what I'm talking about today. I'm not knocking on UConn uh, with this. With this. Um, I know he's, he's talked about more than just sex, and you guys will talk about more than just sex. And I know he agrees with the sentiments that I'm sharing today. Um, but most of the time, when Christians uh, talk about God's wisdom for our sexualities, we focus on sex and marriage. But by focusing on those, we seem to admit, or at least suggest, that those are the best things in life. So to those who will never marry or have sex, we set up false expectations, uh, or sorry, sorry, we mislead them to believe that their calling is lesser. For those who will get married and have sex, we set up false expectations that it will end their loneliness and it will make them a full person. Plus, a focus on sex and marriage uh, communicates to gay people that if they obey uh, God's teachings, they might miss out on some of the best things that God has to offer. And all of this leads to pretty painful results. Um, Christians get divorced and watch pornography at the same rates as everyone else. Few Christians are embracing a call to give up romance, marriage, and sex in order to serve God with undivided attention. And then 54% of gay people who grew up in the church have left the faith. Those are the results we see. So when I read that title, Sex, Naked Conversations, Honest Talk for Better Love of Self, God, and Sex, in part, I hear sex is the best thing out there. So if sex isn't a part of my future, I'm going to miss out on the best things. Um, But what if sex isn't the best thing? What if the problem is with focusing on sex is that it's too focused? We need to to zoom out and include more possibilities God has for us and frame the conversation around better questions. What are we really made for? What do we really need? Well, to answer uh, those questions, to figure out what we are made for, maybe we should start by looking at our Creator by looking at God. So today, I wanna suggest that uh, God has made us to enjoy intimacy in the context of family. He's made all of us for that. And we know this because God is a being who enjoys intimacy in the context of family. And because we are made in his image, we are made for those same things. Um, But to do that, I I wanna tell you a story Um, A story about the importance of using creations as they were designed to function. Using creations as they were designed to function. Uh, You see, my younger brother and I uh, are pyromaniacs. Um, We love fire. Um, Our our love of fire was not helped by the fact that um, my brother and I grew up in a house where my mother was afraid that the house would burn down if we lit a candle. Uh, We had a a gas-burning fire in our house that rarely got lit. Um, So our desire to watch things burn was only multiplied by the fact that we couldn't uh, light a fire in our house. Uh, So we made lots of fires outside of the house. Um, We had a small fire pit that got a lot of use, but eventually we got bored of that. Uh, We wanted bigger fire. Um, So uh, one time over Christmas break, when I was back from college, my brother had a brilliant idea for how we could make an even bigger fire to uh, celebrate his birthday on December 29th after Christmas. Um, during the days between Christmas and December 29th, we uh, drove around our neighborhood with his pickup truck and collected all of the dried up Christmas trees that people had set out by the side of the road. Um, yeah, he ended up piling up 30 trees in our backyard. That's a lot of trees. Uh, A lot of fuel. Um, But we are responsible pyromaniacs. Uh, So if you're going to have a big fire, you need a really big fire pit. Okay, got to be responsible. Uh, So my brother drained the decorative cement pond in our backyard to use that as a fire pit. Um, uh, I'd say it's about 10 feet across, the, the fire pit. Okay, so that night we piled all of the trees in the empty pond, and we lit it on fire. Um, And it was huge, like the flame ended up being about 30 feet in the air. Uh, As I was trying to think, I'm not trying to overestimate, I think 30 is a reasonable expectation. And it was really warm. Um, I was surprised by how far I had to step back from the fire to not feel a burning sensation on my skin. It was very hot. Um, And we weren't the only people who noticed the size of the fire. Um, Our neighbors called the cops on us. And uh, eventually the cops showed up. They admired the fire. <laughs> you know? They gave us some credit for it. Uh, and then they told us not to add any more trees to the fire. Um, we had to apologize to the neighbors. And then a couple weeks later, we had to clean all of the debris, all the ash out of the, out of the pond. Okay, so later in the spring, uh, when it started to get a little warmer outside, my dad was filling the pond back up. He set up the fountain in the middle. He And he turned in for the day, satisfied that order had been returned to the backyard. But the next morning, he realized um, that half the water was gone. And the fountain stream was pretty weak. Uh, And as my dad investigated, he realized that there was a large crack in the pond, um, in the cement foundation, yeah. So our Christmas tree fire had gotten so uh, hot that it cracked the cement. Uh, Over the next week, We got an earful from my dad as he tried uh, three different attempts to seal the crack only for the water to leak out again, did not work. Um, So where I'm getting at is uh, the design, the intended purpose for a creation matters. Uh, That pond was not designed to be a ginormous fire pit, (laughs) right? It was designed to hold water, to be a pond. Uh, and then, when my brother and I tried to use it for something it wasn't designed to do, it cracked. And it wouldn't hold water anymore. We as humans, we're not too different. Uh, we have been designed by God for specific purposes, and that matters. We aren't surprised when we use a pond as a fire pit, it breaks. We shouldn't be surprised that the same dynamic plays out uh, when we allow ourselves to live in ways we weren't designed to. We shouldn't be surprised when using romance or marriage or sex contrary to God's design leads to pain in our lives. Um, But today, I don't want to focus on uh, what we shouldn't do. It's not what we're going to talk about today. I want to focus on what we should do. What are the things that God has designed us for? What do we need? And I said earlier, I think that God has made us for intimacy in the context of family. Well, how do we know that? Because God is a being who enjoys intimacy in the context of family, and he created us for those same things because we're made in his image. Um, God put himself in families. Uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit make up a family called the Trinity. And the Trinity created this world, made man, gave us choice, sent his son to live a perfect life and to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be a part of that family. The Bible goes even further to describe uh, that God is in family and that he invites us into that family by calling us, the group of people who follow Jesus, uh, by calling us Christ's bride and by calling Jesus our groom. Essentially, we're being married into the family of God. Um, in John 3.29, John the Baptist meets Jesus for the first time and describes himself as a guest at a wedding where Jesus is, a groom, is the groom and the people of God are his bride. Uh, in Ephesians 5, Paul uses an analogy of a husband and wife to teach Christ's followers to submit to God and to celebrate um, that we are Christ's bride. And then finally, in Revelations 19, 6 through 9, the Apostle John describes a wedding feast at the end of time when Christ returns triumphantly to celebrate uh, being united with his bride, the church. And that's us. So God is in families. Um, but God isn't just a being in a family. Uh, there's love in that family. The love enjoyed in the Trinity between and between Christ and the church is a particular kind of love. Um, historically, Christians have characterized that love found in God's family in six ways. And I'm gonna tease these out briefly. Um, God's love is diverse. God's love is intimate. God's love is life-giving. God's love is faithful. God's love is sacrificial. And God's love is hospitable. So first, uh, God's love is diverse. Um, There's a differentness in the persons of the Trinity between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, And there's a complementarity between Christ and his bride, the church, Christians. Um, In Revelation 7, 9, the Apostle John describes a celebration of the diversity of God's people with these words. After this, I looked... And behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, stood before the throne. And he goes on to describe uh, this, this celebration and this kind of parade of God's people, and he and he and he notices the diversity of God's people. So God's love is diverse. Uh, second, God's love is intimate. Um, the persons in the Trinity know each other perfectly and are fully known by each other. That's some of the ways that we often describe intimacy. Um, In John 17.10, or excuse me, 17.20, Jesus speaks longingly about God the Father and God the Holy Spirit when praying for his disciples. He says this. He's praying, he's talking to his disciples. My prayer is not for them, the disciples, alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through the disciples' message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you in me and I am in you, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And then uh, God the Father reciprocates this this affection. Uh, Just after Jesus' baptism, the following happens in Matthew 3, 16 through 17. Um, It reads, At that moment, heaven was opened, and Jesus saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So that's intimate language. From the Son to the Father and from the Father to the Son, uh, God's love is intimate. Okay, third thing. Um, Well, continuing, we describe a little bit more God's love being intimate. Christ intimately knows us, wants to intimately know us, and wants us to seek out relationship with Him. Uh, 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8 and 19 say, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. We love because he first loved us. We can only love because God himself is love and because he first loved us, okay? So not only is there is God's love uh, intimate within the Trinity, but it's intimate between us and God. It's a lot of love. All right, third, God's love is life-giving. Um, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit uh, made the world together. They filled it with animals together and they made us humans together. Their work is life-giving. And then God became man and Jesus lived and died for us so that we could have life. His work was life-giving. In John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Without Jesus, we're basically uh, dead men walking, dead women walking. But Jesus paid the price for our sins so that we could have eternal life, so that we could have hope beyond this life. So the work of God's love is to give life, is to bring life. Uh, fourth, the love of God is faithful. There is perfect and permanent faithfulness in the Trinity and from Christ to his people. No matter what we do, God will never abandon us or withhold his love. He's always willing to give it, always ready to provide. Lamentations 3, 23 says it this way, um, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. God's love is faithful. Fifth, almost there, uh, the love of God is sacrificial. Um, as we've already mentioned, Jesus offered himself up as a perfect sacrifice so that all of us could, could be in God's family. Paul describes Christ's sacrifice in this way in Romans 5, 6, and 8, uh, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. But God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. So the love in God's family is sacrificial. And then last, um, the love in God's family is hospitable. It invites people in. Uh, Ultimately, this work of creating this world and filling it with humans and it was an invitation into God's family. And then God extended his arms of invitation again when he became man and he died on the cross seeking to reunite us with him. Okay, so um, let's wrap this, this big idea. God enjoys intimacy in the context of family, and that love is characterized by diversity and intimacy, giving of life, faithfulness, sacrifice and hospitality. But what does that have to do with what we are made for? What we need? Um here's a here's a verse from from Genesis one. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Uh, that's what God said, um, or that's the words that God gave to Moses in Genesis 1:26 through 27, when he created the first humans. We are made in his image. We are uh, like, like imitations designed to be like God. And that's a really big deal, and there's so much we can learn from that. Uh, But I want to focus today uh, on the fact that if we are designed to be like God, to imitate God, then the nature of God can teach us about ourselves, can teach us about what we're aspiring to be or ought to aspire to be. If we're unsure what we're made for, what we need... One way to figure that out is by looking at what God values, uh, how he relates to the people around him. So if God enjoys intimacy in the context of family, maybe we are made for those same things because we are made in his image. Um, It's like a a kid's kitchen play set. You know the smaller plastic structures um, with a small oven a uh, tiny stove, uh, a mini sink, small dishes. Uh, And if you get the millennial, recently married edition, there's a tiny Instapot, uh, mini Cuisinart mixer, and a small pour-over coffee set. Um, Alternatively, if you're trying to save some money, you can get the student edition, um, a tiny microwave with a small six-pack of ramen. It's also an option. (laughs) Um, But uh, either way, the, the kids' kitchen play set... Um, not only imitates the look of a real kitchen, it's also supposed to have a similar function, right? Kids are supposed to use it in similar ways. Usually you don't actually make food on it, although we've probably seen YouTube videos of attempting to do that. Um, Have you ever wondered how children know how to use these kitchen play sets? By watching their parents use the real thing by observing the the full-sized kitchen that the playset is meant to imitate by seeing how the real thing works. We learn how to properly enjoy the imitation by seeing how the real thing works. Um, But sometimes just seeing it isn't enough. We need our parents to show us. We need instructions on how to operate the imitation kitchen. So. Hopefully this is helpful because I think in, there's a lot of ways in which like we as humans are the kids' kitchen play set and God is the real kitchen. What do I mean by that? So we're the image. We're the miniature version. And God is the full-size model that we are designed to imitate. So the best way to figure out what we are made for and what we need is by noticing how God, the full-size model, relates to the people around him. And God has given us instructions. He's given us Jesus' teachings and scriptures to show us how he relates to the people around him and how he's invited us to enjoy intimacy in the context of family. So because we are created in God's image, we were created for this same kind of intimacy in the context of family. We're all made for diverse, intimate, life-giving relationships that are marked by faithfulness, sacrifice and hospitality and our sexualities i think is our need for those things we all need relationships we all need to know and to be known to give and receive love Um, plus we're all created to enjoy this within the context of family but i want to be clear when i say family um, i don't just mean married people and kids In Matthew 12, 46 through 50, Jesus seems to uh, subvert, to turn upside down our understanding of family, rejecting familial ties based solely on biology, Although those are still important, rejecting the idea that family is based solely on biology, and instead establishing that the Christian family is bound by the blood of Christ. Here's uh, those verses from Matthew 12. Um, while, he, while he was still speaking to the crowds, his mother and his brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. But to the one who had told him this, Jesus replied, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So Jesus seems to define the Christian family as a small community of Jesus followers who live life together, who preach the gospel to each other. And from the beginning, families made up of God's children were intended to imitate the love within the Trinity. And between God and his people to bear the image of that love. The love found in families was intended, the love found in our human families was also intended to be diverse, intimate, sacrificial, faithful, life-giving, hospitable, embodying love, God's love in those beautiful ways. Okay, so we've talked about how God enjoys family, the intimacy in the context of family, and how we're made for the same thing. I want to pause here and give us some time to digest this a little bit. Here's my question for y'all. Um, which of these six characteristics of love do you value most? Diverse, intimate, life-giving, faithful, sacrificial, hospitable? Which do you feel might be missing from your life right now? And are there any qualities you'd add to this list that would go in your top five, your top six? So chat about that with the people at your tables for three or four minutes, and then I'll wrap up. So I want to wrap up our, um, this conversation about intimacy and family, what we need, what we're made for, with a couple of caveats, a couple of qualifications um, to give a little bit more nuance to what we've talked about. Okay, so first, I want to make clear that uh, we don't need romance or marriage or sex to meet our intimacy needs. The Bible never promises marriage or sex to people who follow God. And nowhere does it say that we need marriage or sex to be whole. They're good things, yes. Um, And yes, we have uh, physical and emotional needs. And yes, romance and sex are one of the ways that we can meet those needs, but not the only way. Uh, Let me explain. One way to to think about our need for connection is to imagine a a set of buckets that need to be filled with water. So imagine four buckets. Um, And each of these buckets represents a different kind of intimacy we need, a different kind of connection we need. Um, God made us mind and body and spirit, so we need connection on an emotional level, on an intellectual level, on a physical level and on a spiritual level. Um, When I say emotional intimacy, what I mean is um, having conversations that help you connect with gladness, or fear, or anger, or sadness inside of you, or where you notice those same things in others. When I say intellectual intimacy, I mean um, exchanging and exploring ideas with another person. When I say physical intimacy, I mean a a hug, holding hands, sitting next to each other uh, on the couch, um, putting your arm around someone's shoulder, and yes, kissing and cuddling and sex. Um, And then when I say spiritual intimacy, I mean uh, connecting in a way that makes you feel more connected to God. By talking about spiritual things, uh, reading scripture together, worshiping together, You know, there's more on that list. So imagine four buckets, uh, one labeled emotional, one labeled intellectual, one labeled physical, one labeled um, spiritual. Now, some would argue that there's a fifth bucket that would be labeled sexual, that we all need uh, sexual intimacy to be whole. And if we don't get it, we will feel empty. Um, But I know plenty of people who have never had sex and are full adults. They share with me that they have vibrant social lives, rich intimacy, and a satisfying experience of community. Uh, and that's been true of my own life. The, the healthy, uh, emotional, intellectual, physical, and spiritual intimacy that I've experienced in friendships has been much more satisfying than the, the broken ways that I've sought out physical intimacy at times uh, in the past. Um, plus, uh, the Bible doesn't teach that we need sex or marriage to be whole people. Quite the opposite. Uh, Jesus didn't have sex. Paul was committed to celibacy. Many of the mothers and fathers of the church were celibate, and still are t- and are today. And Jesus says that in heaven there won't be any more marriage or sex. In Matthew twenty-two thirty, he says this: at the resurrection people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. It doesn't make too much sense to me that if our Savior was celibate and if we'll all be celibate in heaven, that marriage and sex are necessary to be full people. Okay, so instead of there being five intimacy buckets and this fifth one being sexual, I think there are just four intimacy buckets Emotional, intellectual, physical, and spiritual. And God provides a good chunk of our spiritual intimacy. Our connection with God provides a good chunk of our spiritual intimacy. Um, and those who are married will, will partially fill each of these buckets with intimacy from their marriage. But even if you're married, God and your spouse alone won't fill your intimacy need buckets all the way. You will still need emotional intimacy intellectual intimacy, physical intimacy, and spiritual intimacy from friendship. Um, And that's actually good news. Um, That's good news for single people. If either a call from God or circumstances leads you to a life without romance, marriage, or sex, you can still fill your buckets. Uh, You can still meet your emotional, intellectual, physical, and spiritual intimacy needs in healthy ways through friendship. Um, and that's also good news for married people. Trying to squeeze all of your intimacy needs out of God and your spouse is a good recipe for divorce. Um, but since you don't need romance or sex to fill any of your intimacy need buckets, you can meet some of your needs as well through friendship, right? And that'll actually lead to a healthier marriage. Um, in my observations of the marriages around me, and the couples I meet with in counseling. Um, and, but that also leads me to my second caveat, my second little bit of nuance, uh, and last little bit of nuance. Um, none of us will meet all of our intimacy needs fully or finally in this lifetime. Isaiah 59.2 says that our sins, uh, our imperfection, our unwise choices have separated us from God and separated us from each other. Because this world is broken, and we are broken, we can only ever connect with God and each other imperfectly. There's this distance because of brokenness that we can never cross on this side of heaven. Some amount of loneliness is just a part of life. It's unavoidable. So should we just give up and stop trying to connect in healthy ways because we can't get them filled all the way? Uh, No, and I don't think any of you guys would say that either. You know, for starters, even if we can't meet all of our intimacy needs fully and finally, we can still get a lot of what we need in healthy ways. We can still enjoy rich, satisfying intimacy with God and other people in this life. Um, And second, if we don't try to meet our intimacy needs in healthy ways, the broken parts of our soul and mind tend to reach out for destructive and unsatisfying shortcuts. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that when you ignore your need for community and connection, and you try to do it alone, you end up making unwise decisions later? Lust, masturbation, pornography, dating apps, meaningless hookups, and adultery all become more difficult to resist if we're not getting the things we need in healthy ways. Um, If we try to meet our intimacy needs in those broken ways, we don't fill our buckets. We're just just kicking them over, and we make a mess. So instead, we need to actively work to meet our intimacy needs in healthy ways. We need to be intentional about seeking out uh, intimate friendship uh, with others and proactively meeting our needs. Uh, But how do we do that? How do we make friends? How do we do friendship well? For some of y'all, that may come easily to you. Um, But in a world of smartphones and texting and social media, Many of us never really learned how to do friendship well. Uh, friendship has become a, a lost art of sorts. Um, so to those of you who feel that way, um, I don't want you to be embarrassed. Um, let's learn together. Let's, uh, let's talk about the what and the how of doing friendship well. And that is the very last thing we'll talk about today, I promise. Um, okay, so at least from my experience as a, as a human and as a therapist, um, uh, time spent together is the most important ingredient for building friendship. And it's unavoidable. There's no replacement for time. There's no shortcuts to meaningful friendship. Um, Even if you have common interests or you just click with somebody, it still takes time spent together to have a truly intimate friendship. So spend time together. Um, Maybe you could identify a couple of people in your life uh, whom you want to develop a deeper friendship with, and you can go spend time with them. You could uh, grab coffee or a meal together. You could cook together. If you're students, you could study together. Um, Sometimes you don't even have to talk together, particularly for us introverts. This is a great suggestion. You know, just sitting next to someone in the library, silently studying, but knowing that you chose to be in the same place together can lead to connection, is time spent. Um, You can go grocery shopping together. You can play games. You can see a movie. Um, It doesn't have to be flashy or expensive. Just spend time. Uh, And even those of you who are parents and and don't feel like you have enough time in your life to build friendships, I think we can find some creative ways to spend time with others. You know, What are some of the, the mundane, normal stuff you have to do every week that you could do with another person? Maybe you do laundry together. Maybe you help clean each other's houses. Whatever it is, just to spend time together. So now that we've talked about uh, what you can do to build friendship, let's talk about how to build friendship, how to do those conversations well. Um, We all want deep friendships where the other person knows us and cares for us. Uh, But we're often afraid to take the first step. And I wonder, uh, what if other people want the same things and they're also afraid to take the first step? Like, what if the only thing that's keeping us from having the deeper friendships we want is that both sides are afraid to take a risk and put ourselves out there and we're just waiting? So I challenge you to be the person who takes the risk, who takes the first step. Uh, Be vulnerable and honest about your life before the other person is. Ask them about their story and their life before they ask you and then listen to them. Uh, Listen in ways that you wished people would listen to you. Ask them how they're really doing. Um, You know, I said I'm a therapist. Um, My favorite question to ask as a therapist is, what have you been thinking about lately? Um, It's different than the generic, how are you doing, and people don't, you can't say, if I ask, what have you been thinking about lately, the person can't say, I'm pretty good. The response doesn't make sense. Yeah, usually, usually it forces them to dig a little deeper for a response. Um, so try it. Um, try each of these and see maybe, just maybe, the other person wants the same things that you do and they reciprocate. Okay, so we've uh, discovered that we are uh, made for intimacy in the context of family because God enjoys those same things and he has made us in his image. And we've talked about how to do friendship better. I want to end with an obvious question, obvious takeaway. Uh, Why follow God's wisdom about intimacy and family? Why pay attention to any of this? As you've probably learned some from Yukon's messages and and what you'll learn more in the next couple weeks, uh, God seems to have a lot of suggestions, a lot of rules for how we should seek out intimacy and family. Living your life according to God's wisdom may seem inconvenient, so why follow it? Well, if we believe that a God exists, if we believe that that God is the God of Jesus' scriptures and teachings, and if we believe that that God and Jesus know, best, know what's best for us, that they're wiser than us, that they're smarter than us, if we really believe all those things, wouldn't we be kind of foolish not to follow that wisdom? If LeBron James was your basketball coach, and you ignored his advice about how to be a better basketball player, you'd be a fool, right? So how much better advice does God have about the ways to enjoy the most goodness and beauty and meaning in this life? So trust him, please. If God's wisdom is best for us, following his teachings will save us from unnecessary pain of figuring out the best plans through trial and error. Plus, God's wisdom will lead us to the deepest experiences of joy and purpose, and true pleasure in this lifetime. So, uh, go do what you were created to do. Enjoy intimacy in the context of family, and trust that God knows the best ways for you to seek those out. Amen? Amen? Amen.